0: From deep in the heart of Texas, it's time to chain fires from freedom with another episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. Listen in as we have a conversation with people from the firearm industry and community. Are you ready for the show? We are too. Let's go. What's up, crew? Welcome to a, another episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. It's October the 5th, 2023. Almost a week gone out of October already. Christmas will be here before you know it, uh, and uh, running up on about halfway through this season. I think. I think next week. I think next week will be the halfway point. So, uh, it's really gone by uh, quick. Uh, powered by, of course, this podcast is Monstrum Tactical. But depending on that, we'll talk about them in just a second. I got to mention several things. First of all, that we're proud members of the Farmers Radio Network. So. Jump if you get a chance. Check out all the cool podcasts and the other things going on over there. Uh, also, a uh, big uh, shout out and thanks to the Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members, uh, and those that uh, super chat. Super thanks. Do all that kind of stuff like Lucy out there, uh, Ricardo. Uh, hey, on the road, uh, but uh, we'll be listening. So thanks for that uh, super chat, Lucy. And if you don't know why we call Ricardo Lucy, well, you need to uh diversify your uh vintage tv watching maybe uh gizzard out there chris from the 740 what's up guys um also uh if you've got questions speaking of that sort of thing uh whether you're live whether you're in replay if you're live obviously you can put them in the live chat and uh We'll get to them as the uh, uh, show progresses. So just be patient. We don't want to derail the conversation for an off-topic question, but we'll get to them. Uh, And then if you have questions in the audio or video replay world, there's a comment section, of course, uh, down below. Make sure that you uh, utilize that. Uh, Monstrum Tactical. Let's talk about them for just a minute before we bring in Amy Dillon and have what I think is going to be a pretty awesome conversation. And, uh, yeah, Monstrum Tactical for your optics need. And I would say your your Let's say budget optic needs, quite honestly, from LPVOs to red dots, uh, mounts, rings, and uh, anything and everything else. I think they pretty much got you covered. Uh, Quality seems to be there from most of the stuff I've played with, and I think I've played with just about the entire product line uh, at this point. Uh, and they've even got some cool things that are unique to them. I won't give away the farm because I we'll want to let you go check them out, peruse the uh, site, look at all the cool things they got, uh, again, from the Banshee LPVOs uh, all the way through the product line. Uh, and if you're over there, if you see them on social media, I tell them we said thanks for supporting the show here. With that, uh, let's, uh, let's get into Let's get this Amy in the house. How are you, ma'am?
1: Hi, how are you? I'm excited to be here. It's my first time on your show.
0: It is. Now, I brought you on for one reason. There's only one reason I brought you on. Okay. And, and and then we can just end this. So I just wanted to know how Dave was doing. That's all.
1: He's doing he's doing really well. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually really appreciate that people ask about him because he's had a really tough last couple of years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh and as a joke, obviously we're here to talk about you. We could get Dave on a show uh eventually. I'm oh, yeah. looking forward to yeah, hoping yeah, do that one day. But uh, he's got a great story. If uh, if you're not familiar, um, you know with uh, with Dave out there, Shaky Dave, uh, go look it up. Instagram and all the social medias, and uh, and you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll be in the know. Uh, but we're here to talk about Amy, so uh, I want to give you just a quick minute, uh, or two, or three. Actually, you could take thirty if you want. Doesn't matter to me. But uh, for those that are out there. Uh, that may not be familiar with who you are and what you have done and what you continue to do, uh, sort of give us your elevator speech to uh, start out, and we'll just kind of let it flow from there.
1: Yeah, so um, for anyone who who doesn't know me, my name is Amy Dillon. Um, I start out by saying, I because I'm proud of this, I served 12 years in the Marine Corps. Um, so after 12 years of active duty, um, I was a drill instructor, a marksmanship trainer, and then I was also My original MOS was a data analyst, so very, very varied um, career there. But um, after getting off active duty, I started working in the firearms outdoors industry, started out at a retail gun store and also worked for a firearms manufacturer as a firearms instructor, assistant store manager, and I was also a range master. Very proud to say that I've trained over 10,000 people. Um, Eventually, my career took a life of its own, and I found myself getting involved in many different things within the industry, from competitive shooting, uh, was a small business owner for a while. I've written for and continue to write for various publications and blogs. I've been a brand ambassador, um, co-hosting podcasts, and radio shows, public speaking, and also um, Second Amendment advocacy. I currently work in the marketing field as an analyst, consultant, and brand ambassador for multiple companies in the space. I also Um, Created and co-produced a TV show called "Women in Combat," which aired on the Pursuit Channel last year.
0: It may have been easier to, uh, may have been easier to ask what you haven't done. (laughs) All (laughs) right.
1: Well, I, you know, I run the gamut. Wow. Yeah. 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 I just get very passionate.
0: (laughs) Right now, I mean, obviously, there, you know, to get into the firearms, it's it's interesting. So. Prior to joining the Marine Corps, um, what type of role did firearms play? Were, were they a regular part of their life or were, they sort of, were you in that family where they were taboo? What was that kind of like?
1: So, so I grew up in a um, a military family. My grandfather um, was a POW. Um, he's missing in action from World War II. And then um, after that, my, my father, all my uncles also served in the U.S. military. Wow. And so I grew up. With an understanding of firearms uh, safety. But I personally was never into firearms, you know, as a teenager or as being, um, you know, a kid. I never went to the range with my dad. I never was interested really in guns until Mm -hmm. I joined the military. That's really where my, uh, you know, I've always respected firearms, but I want to say my passion and my understanding for what firearms ownership means to private citizens really, um, really evolved from me being in the military and serving overseas and being deployed in, you know, different countries where I saw what that might look like um, for private citizens who don't have the same rights that we do as Americans. And so that really, you know, my dad, I really have to credit him for fostering my um, patriotism, I guess you could say, and really the acknowledgement that, America is the number one country in the world, and that's for a reason. A lot of that has to do with us having these rights that not every country does.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, on the uh, on the fire side, I mean, getting into the marksman area, I guess, of the military, um was there something that kind of sparked that? Were there certain firearms that you used in the military that kind of you wanted more interest in those? Or how did that kind of happen?
1: Yeah, so an interesting, well, it's funny now looking back. But um, the reason that I really wanted to, I guess that I re- I had such a passion for understanding marksmanship in particular. Because when I was a recruit in recruit training, we go through these, you know, all obviously these tests in boot camp. And to be a Marine, you have to qualify with, at the time we, you know, when I was in, it was the M16A2 service rifle. We go through uh, like this whole training, you know, uh, evolution for marksmanship and uh, weapons handling. And then we go up to qual- qualification day. And I actually, um, I, I did not qualify my first um, time. And so I was put into this group of recruits that um you know I went through remedial training and I basically was told okay you're going to get an extra week of marksmanship training while all the other recruits in my platoon were doing something else and I had to you know qualify I had to get one week of remedial training and then um, if I didn't qualify I would not have um graduated boot camp and so wow. Yeah, so that really, you know, after that, I mean, I really understood, obviously, being a Marine, the foundation of being a Marine is being a rifleman. And I really had to understand, you know, why I didn't get it the first time and work with my coaches and my marksmanship instructor that I had, and, to, to, you know, to to figure it out. And so um, that kind of stayed with me throughout my entire career. And, you know, I eventually actually became a marksmanship coach and a marksmanship instructor myself.
0: Nice. That's pretty good So, kind of pass on that help that that you (laughs) got back there. That's
1: that's actually really helped me, too, with um, even being an instructor, you know, on the civilian side, because I understood some of those things that, you know, some of my students, you know, couldn't quite grasp when it came to uh, marksmanship fundamentals. So I was able to use my experience and not understanding certain techniques or not understanding certain, um, you know, things like you side picture side alignment you say that to someone who's never picked up a gun before they don't know what you're talking about right you know so how do you communicate that in a a way um, to a beginner that has no concept of that so that really actually helped me in my career as an instructor
0: right and I'm sure there was a little bit of uh maybe that you had something to prove kind of mixed in there as well, right? With not <laughs> not making it the first time and then having to go through that. Like
1: Yeah. And it, it wasn't really like having something to prove. It was it was more just wanting to fulfill a goal that I had right. you know yeah. put in front of myself.
0: Yeah. yeah. I yeah. Wanted, like you, to you start, wanted to serve yeah, that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I guess more drive. I guess it gives you more drive maybe is a better way to say it or something. Yes. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Now, for those that have, have been around you, have met you at events and different things, uh, when they and and I was this way, I didn't know about the drill instructor thing until after we had met several times, and I'm like, what? No, like what? No, like I just I can't, I can't envision that. So, um, and I'm sure I'm thinking probably from what I've seen on the uh, on the men's side, right, instead so of the women's side of the Marine Corps. Um, so I guess my first question was that is, is what was that like? Um, uh, because you don't seem like the type that would, could fulfill that job. Again, looking at men, trail instructors I, mostly.
1: Oh yeah. I actually, I understand. <laughs> I get that a lot. So I'm used to that. And it was, it was funny because, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm, I'm not. I'm a pretty short, kind of smaller person, you know. I'm not what someone, and I know this. I'm not what someone typically pictures. Um, when you think <laughs> United States Marine, um, especially drill instructor. But um, but even even when I first told my family and friends that I wanted to enlist in the Marine Corps, they were like, you know, you're you're gonna go do that? How? And um, it's, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I encountered the same thing when I when I was telling my Marine buddies, like hey, I'm gonna go be a drill instructor. They were like, why are you sure? But um. <laughs> It was really about just wanting to, wanting to train the next generation and give Mm -hmm. back. Um, Service has always been, you know, kind of part of my fabric. And I I wanted to be the one that helps, you know, especially young women um, navigate their career in the Marine Corps, like, like I had to do. Right. But it was Um, one of the best jobs I've ever had, I have to say.
0: Well, that makes sense. I mean, coming from the story, you know, the marksman story you just told and how that affected you and wanted to help others. And I mean, it, it makes total sense. It really does. Um, with, um, so let me ask you this with the difference between a ghost out there, says, uh, is, is saying semper Fi, So there you, there you go. Um, if, um, and, and I don't know what you could talk about this or if, if you even have any insight, but I talked to a lot again of, of male men Marines, uh, not so much on the female side. Um, are there any major differences between the, the two as far as, the way things operate
1: um not well so as far as training goes there were some i guess you could say some standards that were different for males and females and again Mm -hmm. i'm talking this was you know i enlisted in 1998 sure
0: right who knows nowadays for sure
1: there's a definite changes now i know that i know that for sure um but um no there were different like for example um men had to do pull-ups as part of their um physical fitness test women did a flex arm hang um we had 3 minutes more to complete the 3 mile run for example um you know so there there were a little bit of differences but i mean really um you know when we when we incorporated because i was in Marine court at the time we started the what's called the combat fitness test um those standards were the same i think nowadays the um the women are doing pull-ups now not the flex arm hang um and it's funny you know i was Shoot, I enlisted in 98. It was only, I think, two years prior to that that women recruits had to go through um, one of the other training evolutions in boot camp called the Crucible. Um, and then women drill instructors only started wearing the campaign covers in 1996, which was only two years prior to me wow. joining. And, you know, I was, I became a drill instructor in 2007. So it's, it's interesting how. It's, um, you know, that kind of evolution. But I want to say expectations, you know, were always the same. There was never any major differences between males and females as far as what was expected of us as Marines.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that would make sense. I mean, with the legacy of the Marine Corps, the prestige, you know, just everything that comes with that branch of, uh, of service, right? I, I could see what you're talking about with the um, – minor differences because of male female and anatomy and <laughs> those oh, types yeah. of maybe things but you know as far as the the job the goal the the what is it the ideals the mottos the mantras that sort of thing it all kind of being the uh, being the same it, it would pretty much have to be of course
1: yeah that's actually when I when I um, created my TV show that's actually one of the things I wanted to highlight was women in combat even before women had these um, you know traditional combat roles that they that they do now and are allowed to have now in the Marine Corps specifically.
0: Right. Right. Um, so you get, uh, you, you get out of, of the Marine Corps and you said you went to work for a retail, like just a local gun shop or yeah, was so it a-
1: I was living in South Carolina at the time and I started working for this just mom and pop gun shop that nice. at the, when I first got out, I was thinking, okay, I'm probably going to go into law enforcement. That was my, that was my goal I had at the time, um, to go into law enforcement. But in the meantime, I saw that this gun store was hiring, um, and, you know, I went in there and talked to the owner, and they said, oh, you're an instructor. You know, you can teach our concealed weapons permit classes, and so I did that, um, and then the small mom-and-pop shop that I was working for at the time um, as an instructor, and I was also doing, like, their FFL books and everything, um, they were eventually bought out by a firearms manufacturer in the state that probably everyone's heard of, Palmetto State Armory, Correct. <laughs>
0: right. I
1: I actually um, was started working for, (laughs) yeah, I started working for them. I worked for them for five years and I was their lead instructor. I also was their um, range master and assistant assistant store manager for one of the stores. And so um, while working for them, yeah, it was, it was such a good time. I learned so much about the business side of, you know, operating a gun shop and, you know, having, we had an indoor and an outdoor range that we set up at the time. So it was just such a great experience. I met so many good people. And I also started um, also shooting competitively at the time, um, shooting three guns. So I was like the team captain, I guess, um, for the Palmetto State Armory shoot, or Palmetto State Armory three gun team. Um, And so it was just just a lot of fun. I have many great memories. And even now, you know, I'm still friends with the owners of the the company and they're just some really great people.
0: Well, you know PSA, uh, and as obviously this is not a you know a plug for them or anything else, but they've got their fingers, especially at this point, in so much of the industry. That yeah, oh having my gosh. That started, I, it, yeah, it's awesome.
1: <laughs> well, I'll just tell you, when I started working for them, we I was <laughs> under one of like fifty employees, and now they're mm-hmm. huge. So oh, there's no. To calling, be able to yeah. see that growth and be a part of it was just you know it was just you'll never you right. hardly ever see that, you know, so right. it's it yeah. just amazing.
0: Yeah. And the connections you make and everything else, you know, along the way get being in that oh, early yeah. with them. I mean, certainly, certainly does help if you're staying in the firearm, you know, realm anyway, which you, you are obviously uh, a yeah. couple, couple things real quick. Uh, Rich White showed up out there and uh, I hope you're feeling better, man. We'd heard uh, what was happening. Not going to, tell your business live, but hope uh, everything's good and you're feeling better, bro. Uh, we do got a couple of questions. There's a bit of a lag sometimes, but um, let's get to uh, those uh, Ghost out there. says, uh, and you did mention this early, but what was your uh, MOS?
1: Yeah, so I had three different MOSs. I was an aircraft data analyst. I was a drill instructor, and I was also a combat marksmanship coach and a marksmanship instructor.
0: And then we've got... Um, parental advisory. Um, You didn't, I don't, I don't remember you covering this, but did you uh, choose the Marines specifically or was there influence that pushed you that direction?
1: I did choose the Marines specifically. Um, And you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's the stupidest thing. Um, So I come from a family of Navy um, men and I wanted to, everyone, everyone in my family, my dad, my granddad, all my uncles, served in the Navy, U S Navy. Uh, wow. and I wanted to be the, the rebel and join the Marines as a female. <laughs> so I just, and I wanted to be the best. And I heard that the Marines were the best. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to shoot for the stars or, you know, go right. big or go home.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> the way I've always,
1: my personality.
0: Once once they've hitched a ride that I think the Marines probably are the best. Right. But I, I right. think that's, I think that's the <laughs> running joke. They've got to hitch a ride to get there, but once they get there, yeah. You, okay. Definitely. So
1: if you know that joke you'll know so we always go back and forth um the marines acronym this is my one of my uh one of my navy buddies said that marines the acronym is my a rides in navy equipment and I thought that was hilarious. that's always stuck with me now so it's funny that you say that
0: right right and that's that's of course a joke i mean they've got their own they've oh, got of course, their own stuff of course. But, uh, yeah it's yeah.
1: all
0: good um so, you know, I don't want to take it down from here, Um, but I kind of want to, I definitely want to walk through it. So at what point, let's, let's go down a 2A road a little bit. Sure. Um, at what point did the 2A thing sort of click and you think. You know, I need to do more. I need to be paying attention to this more. Or has it always been? You talked about the patriotism that your father, your your grandfather, everybody instilled in you, which I think is awesome. But um, did you have an early understanding of the 2A before you got into the Marine Corps? Was that something, a realization a little bit later on?
1: It was a, a realization that happened after I got out. And so this is, you know, the patriotism and my love for the country obviously has been the foundation that I've built everything upon. But, um, really when I, when I got out of the Marine Corps and I started teaching at that gun gun store that I started working at, Mm -hmm. um, I started to get students that, um, especially women, because they heard that there was a a woman, a woman instructor in town. So we got a lot of attention. That's
0: a big deal. Yeah.
1: I was the only woman instructor in the town that I was living in at the time. Um, I mean, I was the only one. And so um, I just started getting so many students that were coming in and they shared, you know, stories with me about um, things that had happened to them, things that they were afraid of. Um, You know, one woman, I remember this, this, even to this day, she came in and she was telling me about um, how her, you know, her spouse had committed um, suicide with a firearm and But she had this gun in her possession and it had come to the point where she wanted to know how to safely use it. Her son was starting to show an interest in in firearms. And it really, um, you know, I understood that having had all the experience and the education that I received in the military, um, I took that for granted. And I realized that there was not that firearm education aspect happening for people, you know, in not in the military and so I took that responsibility to heart and I really wanted to put myself out there and impart the knowledge that I had received you know in during my time in the military and and give that back. Um and I also just after I got out of the Marines I I went through and every veteran you know talks about this but I went through this really not well a little bit of a dark time trying to figure out my purpose and trying to figure out my sense of community. Um, And really, you know, having gone from having all my Marine buddies around me and having the security of always traveling with my unit, um, the first time I traveled outside of the country, I realized how um, actually alone and self-reliant I had to be for my safety. Um, And so that kind of sparked the passion for concealed carry and um, learning everything I could about that, because that's not something that I learned, you know, in being in the military because we didn't, we didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I want to say that really it's just that, that spark for the two A, um, you know, community happened during that time right after I got out.
0: You know, I can see that. And I don't know that I've ever talked with anybody in the, in the mil in any branch in the military. Uh, I've heard it before, what you said that, you know, you get out and the, Everything's kind of regulated. You kind of know what to expect. You, you know, you've got you got buddies that have your back. You know all of these things, right? And then you get out into the real world, and and again, this is coming from other veterans I've talked to. It, it's kind of an unknown. I've never had anybody put it that way. Basically, what you said there is is seriously that like you get out, you're on your own. Nobody's got your back. You've got to be your own backup. You've got to cover your own six. You got to be your own first responder, right? Like the civilian world doesn't work that way. So that's, that's kind of a yes, neat way to, yes. to put it for sure. Um, so yeah, with, um, with your, your training, did you slowly incorporate 2 A stuff into the training or, you know, how did you move? Cause you do some stuff in the activism world as well. Um, how did you kind of shift around from yeah. military to the training to then? Okay. okay we need to talk about, our rights to be able, you know, that, that we have to do this.
1: Yeah. Well, I would, you know, I would talk about the importance of the second amendment um, in my classes. And when I started teaching, I started teaching, you know, concealed carry classes, um, firearm safety classes for beginners. Um, And then I also started um, I developed curriculum for, I had a lot of students coming back to me saying, okay, uh, I learned how to use the gun. Now what, now what do I do? What else do I need to learn? And so I started Mm. just teaching them just handling skills. You know, we did, you know, reloading tactics, um, just kind of intermediate and advanced, um, Mm -hmm. how to, how to get out of a malfunction, things like that. And so, and then when I had students that learned, let's say they learned how to use a handgun, they were asking, okay, that was cool. Now I want to learn how to use an AR. Can you teach me that? And, and then with that, you know, with learning about an AR, I mean, you have to learn the the weapons or the firearms handling is so different. The Mm -hmm. nomenclature is so different. Cycle of operations is different depending you know, what platform you're using. And um, so I started teaching um, it kind of intermediate and advanced classes for that. And then that kind of sp- spurred into shotguns. And, um, and that, you know, in my classes, I would also talk about situational awareness and yes. why the Second Amendment is so important. Um, and so that kind of sp- spurred me into this other avenue of advocacy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember showing up to the gun rights policy conference in 2016 was my first one that I went to. And I actually haven't missed a year, except for <laughs> I missed this past year because I was I was overseas, but or this this or a couple of weeks ago, I missed that. But um, you know, I, I remember sitting in the audience listening to these speakers talk about why it's so important to advocate for the Second Amendment and why it's so important for us as gun owners to understand these laws and how they affect us. And what's actually happening behind the scenes. And I mean, fast forward, you know, to to this year, we see states like Washington, who just passed, you know, last year, the House bill, what was it, 1240, that, you know, they can't even buy, um, quote unquote, assault rifles, where the government has now, you know, taken on or applied this definition of an assault rifle, which isn't accurate. And really like, that's happened in washington it's happening it's happened in california connecticut um and we're starting to see that all over the country if we as gun owners don't stand up and advocate for what we know is right and what the second amendment is about these things are going to find us in our states mm-hmm. um you know even things like uh, when i lived in south carolina i went this was uh, about two years ago i went and spoke at um it's it, the state congress um, for the uh, for them to pass open carry, if nice. you have a permit, and so I'm not saying my testimony um, did that, but I went and and uh, made a statement. Oh, hey, we can it, we
0: can we can claim that here. That's fine.
1: And it it You can take year, You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. You know. So I think
1: that we just have to we have to be in you know active in why we want to carry and preserving that right because we see that the government wants to take it away. Mm. We see that. It's proven. Um, you can ask people, again, in those states I mentioned, Washington, Connecticut, Colorado, where all these restrictive gun bills are, are you know, being proposed. And not only that, but they're being passed. And so mm-hmm. um, I just realized that I have a responsibility as a gun owner. Um, and as an as an instructor, as someone who works in this industry where my livelihood depends on, you know, what I do in this industry and the companies, you know, I work I work for I work for Aero Precision now. And, you know, they employ, you know, so many people that are affected by what just happened in Washington state. So yep. it's it's very important that we, um, you know, that we keep up with what's going on and we speak up.
0: Now you know from sort of the marketing side of the of the industry, you hit on something that there that I think that it aggravates myself and a lot of other folks. You know, I've never claimed to be uh, you know an activist to a activist by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think all of us had a, have a bit of, of activism in us, and and certainly should be advocates, right? Um, but it's it's frustrating, and I'm curious your take from the from the marketing side with some of these companies. You hit on something that's very important. <laughs> if we don't secure, uh, keep our Second Amendment rights secure, then what good is all of the knickknack, cool toys and other things that we get to either use for our self-preservation, hunting, self-defense, fun on the range, whatever use it might be? What good's having all that thing? So what good is that company or the industry as a whole if we don't first secure those Second Amendment rights? And I'm curious if, because I see companies, and I'm not going to name any names, and honestly, I don't know if I could right now, but I see companies on a regular basis that are, I'm not going to say they intentionally go against the Second Amendment, but they're oblivious to it, it seems like. Do you see that in the marketing area, and does that frustrate you if you do?
1: Um. Yeah, so so to answer your question, you know, I feel like in the last couple of years where we've seen a lot of people, you know, kind of like cancel culture, you know, where if a company won't or will um, speak about a, an issue, a policy issue, um, people are starting to to really want to know what a brand or a company um, stands behind as far as issues are concerned. Right. Um, while I've always tried to, to separate, you know, the, the service from, you know, the company or the brand, I do feel as within the firearms industry specifically um, that companies do need to take a more active role because this literally is affecting everyone's jobs. Right. You know, if, um, and we look at companies that have moved, um, you know, there's been a few actually in the past couple, couple years that have moved out of the state they originally started in because they want, you know, they, the, the state has essentially forced them, forced them out because the laws changed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, I don't necessarily agree with with it you know and i say that only because like aero precision for example they're in washington state washington is very restrictive gun laws now but they're still there they're still manufacturing because there is a manufacturing um you know amendment that allows them to manufacture but sell outside the state um but they are fighting you know they they are fighting the bill with the second amendment foundation is based in washington state and they they've been doing a lot as you know they they're the ones who put on the the gun rights policy conference right. every year. Um, but I do think there's a responsibility with companies to be involved in these fights for, um, you know, all these things that, are, that we're seeing come to fruition. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I And I and I like the sentiment uh you know, kudos, I guess, to uh, Arrow for that. Um, you know, a lot of folks, you, you hear it, and especially here in Texas. I mean, we got we got oh, a yeah. little. We've got little to worry about here. We really do. I mean, other states have such huge problems compared to us, the border being probably our biggest problem, oh, quite honestly. Uh, but, yeah. But, um, you know, you hear folks, you know, somebody with California, for example, and, you know, they'll be complaining about the roster or they will be calling, you know, something like that. And they'll go, well, you just need to move. It's like, does that really no. accomplish anything? If we got nobody that's willing to stand, say they're in fight in that state, right? Exactly. Like, like I mean, we could always help. Uh, people from outside the state can always help, but if you're not a resident of that state, like we can, you can only do so much as a as a non-resident of that state. As a resident of that state, you've got voting power, I mean, right? There, you've got you other have, things.
1: You have more power as a resident of your state to do something that will affect your local government because that's where it starts. And a lot of people think that everything's happening in Washington, Washington, DC. No, it actually starts, I mean, in your city, in your County, Mm -hmm. in your, in your state specifically. Um, So I think it's really important that, you know, how easy is it to just send off an email or pick up the phone and leave a message with um, your Congress uh, member, Mm -hmm. because everything that you say to to their um, office, it gets recorded. They have to record it. Yep. Um, when I was, because I advocate with a, or women for gun rights, formerly known as the DC Project. Mm-hmm. Um, when we have, would have these meetings in the Washington DC offices, we were told that every every time a constituent um, leaves a message or sends an email, that has to be recorded. Yep. And so at minimum, that's what you should be doing.
0: Right. And you know a lot of folks don't know, but whether you're talking the federal level, or the state level, uh, your elected representatives, um, they have to have, hold a meeting or be available in their districts or regions, you know, one or two, a few times a year. Uh, they have to be available like that, in person, face to face, be available. Um,
1: right.
0: And a lot of people don't understand that, or they maybe they miss the opportunity. So, you know, saving up a sick day, right, or uh, <laughs> or whatever it might be to be able to, you know, bank that and then when you know that's coming around, say, hey, I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna have a face to face with this Yahoo. Because I get what you're saying. At the very least we should be sending the emails and making those phone calls and and other things. But you know, I can tell you from just some of the stuff I've done, especially with trying to get constitutional care here in Texas, uh, which thankfully we got a couple of years ago, but you know, slowly moving that ball forward over the decades, quite literally, here in Texas, that a lot of times it requires that. It requires that. And thankfully, you know, I didn't have to drive all the way down to Austin every single time. Uh, I could get catch my representative here when they were <laughs> when they were available. But sometimes it requires that. It requires you to be in their face. And I'm not talking about that in a in your face, you know, belligerent, mean, you know, malicious way. But it's much harder for them to discount you in person than it is through a phone call or an email
1: right we, that that's true and i'll also remember that that elected official represents you so mm-hmm. collectively you know if if your elected official in your specific county let's say knows that if he has 100 to 2 like 100 constituents in their county and 78 of their constituents does not support this bill or wants this particular bill passed, there's power in that. And and I think that a lot of people, when you think of activism or advocacy, people think that, oh, I have to be a great public speaker. or I have to go down there and I, I have to take a sick day off work. It's really just as simple as sending off an email or picking up the phone and leaving a message that my name is, you know, Amy Dillon. i um, and from First District, I'm one of the constituents of Congress member so and so. I do not support this bill.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I want you to put your your instructor hat back on. You've got so many hats, but <laughs> okay. um, you know, just crossed my mind. I'm thinking, man, we've got a, a female instructor on, and uh, you know, she fires being out there in the chat, of course, certainly helps with this uh, with this question too we get this a lot as, as influencers, creators, as, as people. And I'm always hesitant when a female approaches me and goes, you know, Hey, what's the best gun to carry or something like that. Um, when you're, when the ladies are are coming to you for a course, or you get somebody that has never carried before and they start picking your brain on that, what are some of the, 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 bullet points? What are some of the high points that, you suggest that they consider because I'm I'm assuming you agree that that's a personal decision in a lot of ways. Yes. But what are some of the bullet points that you recommend they really think about?
1: So you know, I I've always and you probably heard some of the stereotypes that okay, if you're a, a woman, beginner, a revolver, shooter, it's got to be a revolver, revolver, or a 380, or a <laughs> I, yeah. you know, so I, I, yeah. the first thing when, if someone, t- if someone comes up to me and says any of those things, you know, then I, the first thing I talk about is, is recoil and how that's felt um, by the person holding the gun and why, you know, a smaller gun or something that is very lightweight might not be this, the best gun to start out with. um, But I always encourage, you know, students to, to actually find an instructor who is, who can go and do live fire with them, and uh, this is right. where I, you know, I talk about um, someone who's asking about this may not know that, indoor uh, you know, indoor or outdoor ranges will um, let you rent guns, and you can yep. actually try them out before you buy it. So, I always encourage, um, especially beginner students. You know, whenever they've taken my classes, they are—they always say, "Well, I don't have a gun. I don't. Do I need to go out and buy one for your class?" And I say, "Absolutely not. You know, in fact, I don't want you buying anything until you take this class because, at least in the classes I've taught, I've always—I have like my little case of handguns, and I actually show them some, you know, popular modern handguns that are used Mm -hmm. for, depending what they're looking for, something." just to keep for recreational purposes? Is this a concealed carry gun? Is this something that they just want in the, in the house? Um, So I get very specific as far as what their needs are. And I explain that there are different use cases for different guns, different Mm -hmm. size guns, and that they need to have an understanding of of all of that before making a selection.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, what you, what you would carry, if you're looking at, you know, a concealed carry license, or maybe you're in an open carry state versus your home defense. Maybe right. that may be something totally different, or maybe you've got to try to find a happy medium there or something exactly. to deal with. Yeah. And everybody's situation is going to be different. Where you work is going to affect, you know, the concealed carry, right? Your daily routine, uh, where you go and what you do, your, your house is going to be, what neighborhood do you live in? How big is your house? Are there kids in the home? <laughs> it's just, you know, it's so many right. things you got to think about that. That's what's aggravating when that question, whether it's a man or a woman that, that asks that question. It's frustrating because so many people are quick to go. Oh, you need a Glock nineteen. Well, okay. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with a Glock nineteen. But is that the optimal thing for that particular person? Like, it would work. It would probably get the job done. But is it optimal? And I think that it being optimal is what we want at the end of the day. We want the the best, the most best chance for that person to be able to defend their life. And that comes from having the optimal tool for the job, obviously.
1: Yeah. And there's and there's this, you know, there's a skill level and there's a level of proficiency that you have to get to if you're going to be, um, you know, someone that handles and owns a gun. And if if you're not willing to to um, get to that level and and train and work on your skills and develop those skills, then maybe you should look at other options for defense, because Mm -hmm. not everyone um, you know, is going to be able to to handle a firearm and that's okay. Um, so I think there needs to be an understanding that, okay, there it's not necessarily that there's one, you know, fits all, ends all, be all handgun that's going to be the best for anyone. It really depends on, like you said, the person, what their skill level is, what their level of training, um, you know, that they're going to want to attain to. Um, but even then, you know, if, if you, buy a handgun for the purpose of defense and you're planning on just sticking it in the nightstand and never touching it again. You know, I always tell people that's the wrong attitude to have. And that's, that's where we start getting into um, problems and, you know, unsafe practices.
0: Yep. Yeah. That could be, that could be bad on a lot of different, on a lot of different levels, but I think that, and I think we see that a lot. I think that with the with the, the unrest the the cough cough lockdowns, the summer of love with just everything that's went on in the last few years, I mean we've obviously seen first time firearm owners that number rise
1: and yeah. sadly
0: i think I think a a really good majority of those sadly, I think are just like you described. They bought that first firearm, they probably didn't seek a lot of advice, they probably haven't done a whole lot of training or or practice or went to the range or spend any time with it, like you said, it went into a night, a nightstand at worst, maybe a personal safe at best. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, you got to look at, I think for some of those folks is the mentality of it. Maybe they got it or they get that firearm and then they realize, Whoa, wait a minute. Like I'm not in the right mindset or frame of mind. I don't know that I could use this to take another life, which is a perfectly valid thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, maybe should you spend your energy on maybe some non-lethal means, maybe upgrade security in your home, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe you train in a martial art. Maybe you uh, take some situational awareness classes or something of that nature. Uh, but I agree that, that, like, firearm ownership and firearm use is not for everyone. And as long as you're not trying to restrict my Right. Exactly. To practice yep. those, I'm perfectly okay with that not being your thing. Uh, but at the same time, I still value human life. And I think that you need to be doing what you need to do to try to protect that as much as you can.
1: Yeah, there's so many levels to that, you know, um, in in some of my classes, too, I've I've talked about just escalation of force. um, And, you know, the justification of using deadly force. There's, I mean, that's a whole lecture by itself, if you've never, you know, thought about those concepts before, or have never been introduced to what type of mindset you need to have, um, in order to pull the trigger in a defensive situation. And, you know, it's interesting, because, you can practice all day, every day and think that you are so mentally prepared and you find yourself in a situation and you freeze. And so that's, you know, that's something that you need to be aware of, but it's all these things that really, there's so much mindset that goes into handling a gun and firearms ownership that, you know, you really, you know, I I never really consider myself, um, You know, I'm an instructor, but I consider myself also a lifelong student because even now, like marksmanship, you know, even marksmanship fundamentals and the way people are teaching these days, it's a little bit different. Um, Speaking to, you know, what, which generation you're speaking to might um, change up the way that you show someone something about, about guns. So it's, it's very, um, it's a, it's a very unique space um, as far as how to teach someone, not only to be a firearm owner, but w- if we're talking about a self-defense situation, you know, when do you use it? Because that's probably one of the most asked questions I, I've received as an instructor is, well, how, like, how do I know when, when I can use it? If someone comes into my house, like, and, and it's, again, this is actually different when, depending on what state you live in, as far as what use of force laws are, what, if your, if your state has a castle law, um, what, what property means, what does that mean, you know, to your, to um, your uh, district attorney, you know? So it's very different. And um, there's so many little, you know, complexities to it.
0: It's one of those things that if, you know, we we often talk about everything up until the point the trigger is pulled, Mm -hmm. right? Like everything to that point, we just beat that dead horse to death. But then it's like very rarely do we consider what happens after that, right? Um, and you're right, you have to be able to know what the legalities are, whether they're constitutionally sound or not, unfortunately nowadays. You have to know, because like you're talking about, you could have an overzealous DA that's completely partisan, that you can be in a fairly pro-2A district or state, and they're going to try to hang you out to dry, right? So even even living in a situation like that is no guarantee. Uh, but the one thing I think that people fail to realize is like taking a human life is not normal it's Mm -hmm. not a normal thing and there's gonna be some mental impacts with that and maybe not at the time the trigger's pulled maybe not a few days or a few weeks after especially if you defended and you you know saved your family by doing that right but weeks months years down the road something could creep in and go you just took a human life. Like your brain is telling you this, right? And so understanding that that is a potential, right? And then knowing to mental health is a, is a huge thing. And then knowing that, Hey, I need to, if I'm ever in that situation and I start having these types of thoughts that I need to immediately be, and your family also knowing this and being able to pay attention and be aware that maybe I need to go, Take part in some therapy. Maybe I need to go <laughs> talk to somebody about. Yeah, about you know, this. and
1: it's it's so it's so great that you're bringing that up because I actually work with a few different organizations that are kind of delving into that mental space um, and firearms ownership. You know, there and there's there's a lot that have come out in the in the last maybe five to ten years. There is it's a big you deal. Know? Yeah. Yes. Hold My Guns organization. Walk to Talk America. Yep. Um. Project Overreach is another one. So there there's many um many. I think people that are realizing, you know, what you just said that, you know, there's there's such a conversation around mental health and firearms ownership that even within the industry, we're all kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, you know what, we do have to think about how this impacts our community and what what can we do? He's, you know, mm-hmm. I I can't be part of the problem. I have to be part of the solution, right? right. So- um, yeah. and that, and that's the way i mean that's the way that we get to um you know just to kind of bridge that to ab- second amendment advocacy when right. i walked down to some of the offices in in dc and talked to the different legislators you know that was one of the things that we talked about that we were able to kind of m- get to a mutual point on is that hey right. i don't want i don't want people um that shouldn't have firearms to have firearms and that might mean a little bit of reflection as far as well you know what's happening what's happening that we can you know, be involved in that conversation, and how can we mm-hmm. how can we actually help and provide a solution?
0: Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, if we're all being honest, we all know people that should not be able to own, should not be able to. Uh, I'm using air quotes for the people in the audio world should not be able to own firearms. Uh, the problem is they have the right to, <laughs> and so yes. that's that's where the rubber meets the road. So, like, how do we address and I, that? Yeah, you know? I, I, I I
1: am not advocating for um putting anything in place that would yeah. make you know someone be able to say, oh, that person shouldn't. Because I, I think that's right. a slippery slope. But I it do is. think that just just talking about it, um, talking about it within our, you know, respective circles and our and our groups, um, just so that people that because unfortunately, I mean, you probably know people within this industry that have committed suicide with a firearm. I mean, oh, I do. many,
0: many you know, yeah.
1: it's, it's sad. And I wonder, like, you know, where, where, where are we going? Wh- what can we do to provide that check and balance and make that person not be ashamed to say, Hey, you know what? Right. Um, I'm really in a bad place right now. I, you know, I'm not comfortable w- having this right now. Can, can you help me figure it out? Yep. Um, and well, I think that's a powerful thing.
0: I think, and I think the organizations you mentioned are doing a, a good job in moving them yes. all in that direction. I, th- I think the, the, the solution is uh, it's a self-regulating thing, right, which has Absolutely. nothing to do with the government, which therefore has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. You know, it falls on that particular individual and that that particular individual, maybe even their family, right, their immediate family, the folks closest to them to realize that, hey, there's a problem.
1: Or just or, ask or, them.
0: Well, how do they realize that? Well, it's the same yeah. way as, as you talking about with firearm safety and familiarization. We also need a certain amount of education and familiarization with our mental health.
1: Right.
0: And the, the cool thing about that is that could affect us in a bunch of different other ways.
1: Mm -hmm. Like
0: you could say, I mean, you've done competition before and you've went out and worked out. Oh, I'm getting ready for this competition. I know I'm going to have to run and gun all day. You know, so I need to get out and jog every morning and I need to lift and I need to do this. Well, the purpose is that competition. But what effect does that working out have on the rest of your life? Right. Mm -hmm. And by taking care of your mental health, that's more your physical health. But by taking care of your mental health, the same thing happens. Right. If we take care of that mental health, because we want to be more in tune and and catch bad things before potentially bad things happen. Right. Then that could affect the rest of our life in a positive way as well, I think. So it's it's a win-win situation.
1: Yeah, and and everything, you know, these are all aspects of being a responsible gun owner and that's Absolutely.
0: You yeah. know, that's
1: what I think we all want. We all want gun owners to be responsible and you know self-reliant and and having the right tools in their toolbox
0: right um let's uh let's shift gears here we're gonna have a uh, we're gonna have a little bit of fun uh with a, a segment i call on the spot so we're gonna put you on the spot okay um uh, this one brought uh, brought to us by anderson manufacturing if you're out there uh as soon as we get done we'll talk a little more about anderson manufacturing but uh, we're gonna start out with a couple of things uh first off here what was your first firearm
1: well, my first firearm that I shot was the M16A2 service rifle. Yep. And then the first the first handgun I bought was actually um I it was either a Glock 19 or a, my, I and I did purchase when I got out of the Marine Corps, I purchased a Beretta 92FS because that was what I had carried. Ah, um, yes. In service, you know, it was yeah. the, the, the M9. Um so that right. was my first firearm purchase. I think that was. I I can't I really don't remember but I, it was either a Glock 19 or is that Beretta?
0: Right. Right. Uh what was your first vehicle?
1: My first vehicle was a Honda HX <laughs> and then I really? and then I yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I had that for a couple years and then it's funny I then I traded it in for a Scion TC which I actually still have. It's like 20 something years old.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow, I, 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 every, how many miles? How many miles is on that now? Do you know?
1: Oh yeah, I do. It's like 350k. It's, wow. Yeah, it's it's insane. But I I drive a, a Tacoma, a truck as well.
0: Still still reliable the Scion. Do you drive it?
1: I drive it more. Um, actually, I took it on its last cross country trip. I want to say last year. And Whoa. Then I just, yeah. And then I decided, okay, it's it's time to not push the envelope anymore. Not risk so, it. <laughs> right. It. Yeah. So it's like a local in town car yeah. now. But
0: sure, Daily driver. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I hear you. Um, as far as favorite cartridges, do you have a favorite cartridge?
1: Um, I mean, I don't really have a favorite cartridge. I, I but I am a nine mil like I I love the nine millimeter. I think it's very yeah. just a universal round, good for everything. Um, you know. Um, and then two, two, three, five, five, six.
0: Right. <laughs> Classic.
1: Right.
0: Falling back on some of the military again. I think I
1: can't, I can't, I can't escape it.
0: <laughs> right. Uh <laughs> You have a uh, favorite band or musician?
1: Um, there's so many. Um, there's so yeah. many. But I, it's if you're
0: a music person, there is. That's a tough question.
1: People are surprised. I actually, I'm really into like heavy metal, hardcore rock. Um, nice. Okay. Yeah. So that's my favorite. But I can't. I really just can't narrow it down to a favorite artist because there's. <laughs> I have so right. many.
0: Right. Give us one.
1: Avenged Sevenfold.
0: <laughs> okay. There you go. Um. Favorite founding father. Do you have a favorite founding father? Link,
1: well, um, my favorite president is Lincoln. That
0: would be but, Lincoln, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, is he considered a founding father? <laughs>
0: I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, we could use that if we if we had to. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that'll work. Uh, <laughs> uh, what do we got? Favorite, Uh. you have a favorite historical site?
1: Um. So I've actually been to um Boston, Massachusetts, where the there's a marker there. And this is actually on, I think it's on my Instagram page. There's a marker where the shot heard round the world. Um oh, where, they, nice. where the troops were there and they saw the British coming. Um that I, when I I was there and I remember I went there specifically, like I wanted to see it. I wanted to stand where the where the you know, where they stood. Right. And That just was, and I've been to Gettysburg. Uh, I love history and I love visiting historical sites. So um, I recently went to England and I actually went to Stonehenge and that was just something that I've been um, wanting to see since I was little. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but, but I would say in the U S, um, probably the, where the Boston, um, you know, in Boston where the revolutionary war started and, uh, probably Gettysburg is just a very uh, spiritual, um, you know, place for me.
0: Now, was that, um, that was the most, was that the most recent trip to the UK that you went to Stonehenge or just one? Yeah,
1: that was like two weeks ago. I just got, I like just got back. I've been jet lagged all that all week.
0: And so you couldn't push it over. It's still standing, I'm guessing, right?
1: Yeah, it's still there. Um, we, (laughs) I couldn't get right up to it, but you know, Dave was with me and I was with uh, my brother and his wife and, we just right. t- took like a whirlwind trip to Europe, and it was the first overseas trip I've taken since the world rifle shoot in oh, wow. in 2019. So this is all like you know before COVID. So um, I've just we decided to go to Europe, and we had such a blast. It was such a great time.
0: That is, I don't know that any guest will ever say mention Stonehenge in this. So I've got <laughs> some follow up with that. Okay. But is is Stonehenge? Because I don't think I know anybody that's been. So all I've seen is pictures. Mm -hmm. probably that's probably be the the front of it my entire life but all i've seen is pictures is are the stones is it bigger or like smaller if you've only seen pictures and then you go in person
1: in person it's it seems bigger than it's different when you see it in person versus pictures because i just feel like when i was standing there looking at these i mean it's literally these stones in the middle of a field you have to take this bus out there but it um (laughs) <laughs> it's you know, and you can't walk right up to it, but you you get pretty close. And there's mm-hmm. there's just something kind of um spiritual, I guess is the best word. It sounds so hokey, but spiritual to stand in a place where you know pre like biblical times that you know these stones have been there. And so all the people that have visited, you just you know, it's just like a connection, you know. And having like my dad passed away. Um, you know, five years ago, I've never met my grandfather. And, and you know, it's just that connection to this entity that's been around um, in the world since way before, you know, right. all, all this civili- civilization. It's, so it was just really a really cool, neat thing for me.
0: Right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, on the spot. That was brought to you by uh, Anderson Manufacturing. Some quick words uh, about Anderson. <laughs> be, on, be on the lookout. Because they are uh, got their bolt action rifles out there that are coming uh, soon. 308, 6.5 Creedmoor, and their Wind Mag, which is the one I'm excited about, coming for that. Uh, I recently got the Kyger in, been playing around with it. And of course, they do all the uh, AR modern sporting rifles in the 15, the 10, the whatever calibers that you're looking for. Uh, so uh, be sure, yeah, to go uh, check those guys out. And again, much like a monster tactical, make sure to tell them thanks for supporting the, uh, the podcast. So uh, yeah, we're at the uh, top of the hour. We almost hit the nail directly on the head, Amy. So that was awesome. Um, I'm going to give you a couple more minutes as we close down here. If folks want to follow what you do uh, and uh, check all of that out. uh, I had
1: such a great time.
0: Do me a favor. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I've enjoyed it. Uh, Do me a favor. Uh, cover all of your stuff, pimp all your stuff first, and then pimp Dave's stuff just a little bit at the end, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, I can do that. Um, you mean our socials and where to find us? Yeah,
0: yeah. your social medias, uh, where folks can find and follow, yeah. like I said, mainly you, but then we'll get oh, Dave no. a little bit of I, too.
1: I want to get Dave on the show so he can talk to you and just kind of, you know, talk about all his, he's just such a great, you know, obviously I'm biased, but <laughs> he's, he's such <laughs> no, a great, Dave-
0: there's a lot of fun. There's a lot he of fun. He
1: is very inspiring. And he, you know, I see him every, I mean, every day is different. And he's uh, even on, you know, he's such a positive, upbeat yeah. guy. I mean, he really is yeah. for everything he's been dealt with, you know. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, my socials, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. But uh, you can just Google Amy Dillon or um, actually my full legal name is Ada May, So A-D-D-A-M-A-Y. And that's also my Instagram handle, Ada.may. Um, and then you can also look up shaky Dave, um, he's Therapy on Instagram or Parkinson shooter. Um, and he's on Instagram. Um, he's got a Facebook page, uh, as well. And I think it's just Parkinson shooter shooter there, but yeah, if, if anyone wants to reach out, I mean, you can reach out, DM me. Um, and if you have any questions, um, you know, I'll definitely respond and, um, yeah, here for you awesome. guys.
0: Awesome. So, uh, Amy, yeah, again, thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping and hanging out with us for a little bit. I do appreciate it. It was fun. I enjoyed it.
1: I learned a little
0: bit. I know a little bit more about you now in case people ask. (laughs) So that's always, uh, that's always good. And, uh, yeah, I guess next stop, I guess we'll probably see you at SHOT Show, right?
1: Yes. I, Dave and I will both be there.
0: So awesome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on, Amy. Appreciate it. Thank you. For uh, everybody else out there, um, yeah, there you go, the uh, podcast with uh, with Amy. Thanks for, for joining out there live. We had a lot of folks uh, commenting, a few questions out there and whatnot. Uh, hopefully, we got some more in the replay world. Don't forget, you can uh, participate uh, down below with that. Uh, next week, I'm trying to think who the who's on deck. No-handed shooter is on deck, and I'm forgetting. Mm, it's going to be bad. Because I can't remember. Ooh, I think it might actually be Monstrum Tactical this on next week. So go figure. They sponsor the podcast and they get a, their own episode. Uh, yeah, it's, it is what it is. Right, got to pay the bill somehow. That's what I always say. Uh, this is the uh, Thursday recording of the podcast. Cause we're close enough to say everybody have a uh, a great safe weekend. I will see you next week on the uh, podcast. Uh, Till then, uh, don't forget to chain fire freedom. Bye. We appreciate the Patreon patrons and YouTube channel members who keep these podcasts going. If you're looking for cool stickers, patches, and other gear, be sure to check out Clovertac.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the CloverTack Podcast.